broadcasting worldwide on internet radio. Refreshing takes on legal strategies. Straightforward answers to difficult tax questions. Independent ideas on building wealth. It's the Refresher Wealth Show with Mark Kohler and Matt Sorensen. Get your free copy of Mark and Matt's ebooks and sign up for their weekly free newsletter with important tax deadlines and articles at refreshyourwealth.com. Now, here's Mark and Matt. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of Refresh Your Wealth with Mark Kohler and Matt Sorensen. I'm here with my amazing co-host, Matt, talking to you about tax and legal strategies that will help you better live the American dream, save you money, make you money, protect your assets, all the above. And let me give you a disclaimer. This show in no way, shape, or form is going to help you on your NCAA bracket. So just know right now that if you want a chance of winning, you want to enter our bracket because we're idiots over here when it comes to that. But Matt, is that a good disclaimer? That's an important disclaimer. Yeah, there's probably some easy money in our pool, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I, since, since, our, since our brand new 18-year-old receptionist every year wins, uh, <laughs> you've got a shot. Yeah, if that's an indication. Um, and uh, I, I always pick my teams based on who I want to win regardless of the number next to their to their team name. And you know it's funny, we even had employees be like, after they finished their bracket, like what were those numbers next to their name? <laughs> I didn't even know what the, the seating meant. So uh, Oh man. No. It's it's classic. And of course they're the ones that won. Uh, That's the madness. No, welcome That's everybody. The madness. <laughs> this show is uh, brought to you every week uh, by Rockstar. Uh, even though I am off Rockstars now two months and seven days. Yeah. I'm clean. You know, congratulations. My, my AA meetings are. Congratulations. And I, uh, I mean, their sponsorship dollars still cover the rest of the year. So we're obligated by contract to mention that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I should say RA meetings, rockstar anonymous meetings. Uh, so folks, if you haven't, uh, if you're catching the show for the first time, make sure you sign up for our weekly newsletter at refreshyourwealth.com, And, uh, you'll enjoy it. It's a free newsletter every week with tax and legal tips, deadlines, little videos. Uh, we've got an important workshop coming up next month uh, in April in Orange County. It's also a live broadcast. You can catch it while you're sitting down eating a bowl of popcorn. And that is our annual self-directed IRA uh, summit. Matt, do you want to explain a little bit what you've got planned for that? Oh, this is going to be a heck of a good time. This is the only opportunity to get a full day of self-directed IRA or 401k training. We have lots of clients who self-direct their retirement accounts and a lot of people who want to learn. And this is no sales pitch. Our, all we sell is education and knowledge. I mean, we're not, I don't sell you an investment. Unlike a lot of seminars you may go to to learn about this. So our purpose is simply to train and educate you. We have lots of clients that have been very successful in it. Um, we've seen what works, what doesn't. Break it down in a full day uh, series of presentations. Mark and I speak. We've got some other experts that come in. It'll be awesome. April 22nd. Where else do you want to be on a Saturday on April 22nd? But in Southern California, learning about self-directed retirement accounts. I can't think of anything yeah, else. It's, no, and, and it's, it's going to be a great workshop. Lunch is included. Also, there's a VIP opportunity for those that want to go to an Angels game. 
the night uh, after the workshop uh, where Matt and I and our families were going to go with a good 20 to 30 folks and uh, sit in a box yeah. and watch the Angels play. It's going to be sweet. Yeah, there'll be so. free hot dogs, soda pop, you know, the ballpark food. So we'll have our own box, just us. It's only us. So it should be actually really fun. Looking forward to that. Yeah. And make sure that you stay the next day and have your corporate meeting uh, at the restaurant in Pirates of the Caribbean. And uh, that would tax deductible lunch and entertainment expense at Disneyland yeah. for your annual corporate meeting for your S Corp that sponsors your 401k. <laughs> well, nicely done. <laughs> nicely done. Thank you. A little perk there. Yeah. If uh, many of you don't know, Mark's a CPA. So that's where that was coming from. <laughs> like, why would, why, would this now, guy, why would that guy throw that out? Why would he throw that yeah. out? <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're new to the show, uh, that's going to happen quite a bit. So buckle up. But, uh, you know, here's an important point on that, though. If you only in your life have IRA investments, this trip would not be tax deductible because your IRA entity or your IRA cannot pay for your travel to attend this, this event. So for any of you that have a separate LLC for rental property, a, um, an S corporation that sponsors your 401k, any sort of other business, uh, this would be a tax deductible expense, hundred percent airfare, your uh, dining while you're there, 50%, entertainment expense, uh, hotel, 100%, all those little things add up. And I want your business to pay for this because even though we're covering self-directed IRA issues, any business owner needs the education on how to fund your retirement account. We're going to be hitting tax strategies on funding your account, and that's why the trip is tax deductible in your business, separate from the self-directed IRA issues. So, uh, mm -hmm. All seriousness, uh, make sure that you plan for this. Uh, oh, was that your was that your legal tip? That was a pretty damn good legal tip. Tip. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, thank you, Matt. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah, and we should get to it. So let's real quick, Matt. Why don't you introduce the show topic, and then we'll give a couple tips? Because I actually have two or three court cases that are sweet. In 2017, the tax court in Washington has been busy little beavers, uh, even though uh, Donald Trump put a hiring freeze on some of the federal employees, the tax court has not slowed down, uh, mm -hmm. slowed down at all. I've got some great cases to share here. But uh, Matt, cool. what's our topic today? All right, we're going to be talking about mastering employee issues in your business. There's a lot of things to think about here from legal consideration, tax consideration and reporting, business issues, and just making sure you're getting it right from a business standpoint. So we're going to be rattling off tips for you on that, making sure you know how to hire employees, how to manage them, how to fire them, and uh, uh, hopefully share some insights. Life cycle. Yeah, I mean, we're going from start to finish. So, But that's the topic today. Um, now, before we get into that, we always want to give some legal tips. We just like to throw, throw a quick legal tip and a tax tip out. And uh, Mark has some groundbreaking cases from the tax court. I'm just, I can tell readers, listeners are just, they just can't wait for it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. So let's start with a tax tip. A tax tip you can actually understand and won't put you to sleep. A tax tip that could save you thousands. Okay. Well, Matt, I it the court in uh, D.C. the tax court, the federal tax court, they're they're just kicking out cases every day, and so there's actually in this first two months of the year a lot. So if mm -hmm. you listeners, uh, please know I'm a giver. I want to be a giver. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to throw down three or four quick cases 
that uh, mm. might affect some of you. So I'm just going to quickly throw these in out. Now, there's two main topics. What is the real estate professional? Many of you know that we're big advocates for real estate investment as a part of your portfolio. It's a great tax deduction strategy, tax-free growth, uh, tax-free uh, cash flow. It's, it's just cr incredible. And so we talk about the real estate professional topic quite a bit. Uh, for those that are new to our show, go back into the iTunes podcast history, and you'll see specific shows dedicated to this. Uh, but a couple cases came down already this year. Uh, there was an owner of an insurance firm who also owned 10 rental properties and claimed he was a real estate professional because of these 10 rentals. Well, the tax court said, uh-uh. He could not prove that he spent more time on his 10 rentals than his insurance business. And it's not always just the dollars, it's the time. So you got to go hmm. to the tax court with your crap together if you're going to argue real estate professional. I thought now on insurance side, guys, I, I mean, I, I didn't think those guys worked. So I thought I thought that would have been a layup case, actually. <laughs> Don't they just oh, like... Oh, <laughs> oh, taking a shot. Aren't they always like right. just to the golf course, like just waiting for people to send in their payments and having people do the business for them? <laughs> now, Matt, Matt, let me just tell you, we do have a few insurance, you know, licensed insurance brokers listen to the show. So uh, be careful. No, no, uh, they know it's true. They know. <laughs> here's what it is. We just envy your lifestyle. That's all it is. That's you know, right. we're just taking shots because right. we're jealous. That's all it is. True. Okay. Now... <laughs> Matt, I'm gonna I'm just gonna give a shot here at another industry. If there's one industry that's gonna be aggressive with tax strategies, that just can I guess? Yeah, I wanted to just guess. <laughs> guess who this next guy is? A dentist. Went, a dentist. <laughs> I knew it. it. I don't know what it is. I swear, there's a class in dental school where it's like how to screw over the IRS, you know. And these guys come out of dental school just. Hating the IRS. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't I, It's so true. It's weird. It's so true. I know. <laughs> if any of you are a dentist out there, again, we love you. We're just, you know, there's just accept it. Just, just yeah. go with it. Okay. So a dentist. Now, believe it or not, a dentist pulled this off. He won in tax court. All a right. dentist worked four afternoons a week. <laughs> no surprise there. <laughs> Jeez. I've never, I, I've never had a dentist client that actually works a four, five full days. Yeah. You know, day start to finish. You know, it's like they come out of dental school and they're like, "Yeah, I'm going to take Fridays off." I'm like, "What happened? How did that happen?" Yeah. Oh, again, again, we're envious. <laughs> yeah, that's all. It is. So a dentist who worked four afternoons a week, surprise, surprise, also owned four rental properties. Four. That's all four. For which. He could document and put in more than a thousand hours during the year managing four rentals. So apparently he was over there, Mr. Uh, handyman, playing on these rental properties. Yeah, took took uh, a different and, drill set over. As, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, which That's drill just, set do I take today? <laughs> I'll take the Makita. I'll go with the Makita. All right. And then he says, uh, and the court, he was able to show that he devoted more time to his rentals than he did to his dental practice, and he qualified as a real estate professional. Boom. And he was able to write off all of his rental depreciation losses against his dental income. Guy probably walked away with a massive refund. Love it. Love that. Good for so, him. Yeah, good for him. You go, girl. Okay. <laughs> now, here's second couple cases. This is on the alimony topic. Now, uh, for some of you, uh, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of folks out there that are uh, divorced. And it's a common topic or issue that we talk to clients about. We're a law firm, so we're going to get those calls. Now, we don't handle divorces for clients, but certainly we're helping advise clients through some of the, if 
financial aspects. But uh, here's the tip. Make sure you check the language in your divorce agreement regarding whether alimony is deductible or not. Now, it, I'm not, it could be the man or the woman. I'm not going to blame one of the genders here or attack them. But uh, uh, two taxpayers who were, who were required, required, sorry, tongue twister, two taxpayers who were required to pay alimony to their ex-spouse learned this lesson the hard way. Uh, the first one, uh, in a divorce decree, it clearly stated that the, the lump sum payment and alimony was supposed to be tax-free to the payee and non-deductible to the payor. But this, uh, this individual went to his tax return and, of course, deducted all of those payments mm -hmm. to his ex-spouse, thinking, I better get a write-off for this crap, which we know it's an emotional situation. Yeah. And he got audited. I don't know if it's a he or she. I don't want to, again, I'm trying to be gender neutral here. Uh, this taxpayer then went to court and was unable to deduct all of those payments to the ex-spouse because the divorce decree controlled it. Mm, that was a controlling document. Next, there was a poorly, last case, a poorly drafted agreement between an ex-husband and a wife. Now, this one is gender specific in the court case. There, uh, uh, my summary is a little more clear. Uh, the divorce decree in one section said it was deductible. Then in another section, <laughs> hand this to uh, the wife's attorney, snuck <laughs> it in there in some exhibit. It literally was an exhibit that said uh, the, non, the, the alimony is non-taxable and non-tax deductible and quoted some code sections. And the court said, hmm, well, we've got two sections of this divorce decree, one that's a little short and sweet and the other one that had more length and description. So they said, well, we're going to go with the more lengthy description, yeah. even though it's buried in an exhibit. So uh, the wife was able to claim all that alimony tax-free, and the husband did not get a tax write-off. Again, Ouch. carefully, carefully read your divorce decree. So in a divorce, you not only end up hating, hating your ex-spouse, you usually end up hating your attorney. This one here, I'm sure this guy yeah. wanted to set up a poster in his office as well of his attorney throwing darts at that one. Oh, Right. Yeah. I mean, because if you're the one paying alimony, that usually means you're the higher income person. So it stands to reason you should get the deduction and you want the divorce decree to say that, right? The other person yeah, receiving yeah. alimony would be the person with lower income. That's why alimony is payable. It's meant to kind of equalize the person's standards of living. So the person receiving it would have a lower income naturally, have a lower tax bracket. They should be paying on it. That That's kind of the generally how it works by default and uh, at least for when your divorce attorney knows what they're doing ah i feel for those people though dang ah, it's tough i feel and I, and I say this i feel for anybody going through divorce such a hard hard situation and then to sit nine months 12 months later to get hit again over the head with some tax issues Ugh. Yeah. boy dang but but the dentist one the dentist one <laughs> yeah that guy's awesome i love it a thousand hours on four rentals what'd you do put on a new roof on every rental but whatever <laughs> Guy's got it. He's got it mastered. Leave it to the dentist. Yeah, okay, yeah. well, Matt, have you got a legal tip for us? All right, I got a legal tip. A legal tip that you can actually use. A legal tip where you don't feel like you have to take a shower after. All right, now I want to talk about leasing your office space or your storefront location. 
I had a recent consult with a client. I just want to throw out just three considerations here if you're leasing your business space. Again, I don't care if it's a retail store, or an office, whatever. These are uh, issues you're going to face either way. Now, commercial leases are a little different than a residential lease. One of the things you have to understand when you're getting a commercial lease is something called triple net. What that typically means is you're going to have a set monthly rent. On top of that, you're responsible for triple net expenses. This is standard in a commercial or retail lease. Matt, let me interject here too. Matt, you're talking about the lessee. Yes, I'm so, talking about you, the business owner, leasing the, your your space for your storefront or your office. Yep. Yeah, from someone else. You're not the building owner. You're the tenant. So yeah. just want to I want to make sure that people understand this. So, and typically a triple net means the tenant is going to pay some expenses on top of that base rate. So exactly. Going. Yep. So you're going to pay three things: property taxes, insurance, and common area expenses. Common area would be like, you know, the hallway or maybe the parking lot, things like that, the bathroom. Snow removal. Snow removal, landscaping, all that stuff gets thrown in there. Property taxes, yeah, you're going to pay a share of the owner, the landlord's property taxes. So for you real estate investors out there doing commercial leasing, isn't that awesome? You get to push your property tax bill on your tenants. <laughs> Love that. Um, now, just you just need to know this is a tenant. These are the things that typically get pushed your way as an expense. And then the other one is insurance. You're also going to have to pay a share of the insurance that the uh, landlord has to pay for insuring the building. So that's the first point, just understanding the triple net factor and how that works. It's a little different than what you may have experienced in a residential rental. The second thing I want to make sure you understand is you really want to make certain that you have renewal clauses in the lease. If you're building up a location, you're marketing it, you're putting out advertising, you're putting it on your web page, you're putting it on your business cards, you're hiring employees that want to work in that area or that location. You want to make sure you have some certainty in that location so you can renew the lease. So you really want to make sure you have renewal clauses that give you that option to renew the lease um, for an extended period of time. That way if you sign a one-year or two-year or three-year or even a five-year lease, you have an ability to extend that for maybe another five-year cycle or three-year cycle. So add in some some options to renew. Then the last thing is avoid at all costs signing a personal guarantee. Many landlords, when you're a small business owner, tenant, want the owner of the business to sign a personal guarantee. And for you real estate investors on the other side, I want you to make sure you're trying to get this. But from the tenant standpoint, you business owners leasing an office or a storefront, try to avoid having to sign a personal guarantee. Hopefully they never bring it up and you don't get sucked into it. Just sign under your company name. Let your company sign the lease, your S-Corp or whatever it may be, and you sign as an officer. But let's try and avoid your personal assets coming in and, and being at risk too because that's what would happen if you sign a personal guarantee. So that's it. Just want to give you a quick few points on leasing your business space um, for your storefront or your office. I love it. I'll just add, make sure you understand your lease. Read it from start to finish. The job of the lawyer is to help draft it and explain it. It's your job as the tenant to know it, what it means, and backwards and forwards. Then you ask your lawyer, hey, explain this section to me. Hey, explain this section to me. Because I promise you, if you sit down for two or three hours with a Diet Coke and you just dive into that lease, you're going to be shocked at some sections or surprises and, and, and be surprised. And so uh, I, I, I just, you know, it's so important. Make sure you read it. Yeah, it's obviously a very critical document to your business. So 
Um, nobody should know it better than you. That's right. All right. Well, well you want to dive into this topic? Mastering yeah, employee issues? Yeah. Now, for those out there that don't have employees, don't turn off your radio yet. You might uh, be uh, hiring an employee soon. You might be thinking about hiring an employee. I know, Matt, I'm not sure if it's in the book Good to Great or you t- I think it was you told me this, one of the books you read it. Um, I remember you quoting this to me years ago. Is that one of the first employees you should hire as a personal assistant to do things that dis- distract from your ability to be productive and make money and do what you know best? And uh, so many of you out there are probably thinking about hiring an employee. And the more you know before you go down that path, the better. So take some notes. Yeah, and I think if you've already hired employees, you might have forgot us some things you should be doing. You might, and so we want to kind of hit this from the major considerations we've seen as attorneys, Mark also as an accountant, and having employees in our, some of our own companies too. Uh, so hopefully this will be very valuable. But I think what we're just going to do, we're just going to rattle off back and forth some issues, maybe try and take this chronologically from the hiring phase to the managing the employee phase to the unfortunate, which sometimes does have to happen, the firing phase. Um, and we'll be invoking Donald Trump jokes ad nauseum in that phase. So, <laughs> there you go. All right. All right. Well, well, let's what's start our with first hiring. topic? Hiring. Okay. Okay. I want to just talk about having a good application process in the hiring phase. One reason, and I think a lot of small businesses skip having the simple application. There's a couple reasons why you want to do an application. One, it gives whoever's going to do your payroll, which we'll get to later, maybe your workers' comp, maybe some of your benefits. It's going to give them the basic details of this person. What's their social? Where do they live? Who's their emergency contact? You know, some of those basic things. But I also want you to put on there a few questions that are important. Have you been convicted of a crime? You may want to know that, okay? (laughs) You'd be surprised... How many people have to check yes and explain this? And if you're not doing an application, you don't know. You never asked. Um, and it's a lot It's a lot more awkward to ask in an interview than to exactly. just have it on the paper. Yeah. Exactly. And that way they've and – and plus it's in writing at that point and they have to sign the application. So we want to know that. Um, also, it's an opportunity to maybe get some references. You know, you might have already been making the hiring by then – Ideally, you have the application done right before the hiring, um, but it could, it could be after. But you may have some references you could use as an opportunity if you're doing it before hiring. Um, but I like just the application thing primarily as a way to determine criminal history. And also, if you have certain employees that are involved in finances, you may even pull a credit report on that employee if they're involved with, with finances and or if it's a higher level employee that you're going to entrust with certain things, you may want their credit pulled. We've also make uh, new hires pay $50 with that application, and it's a great revenue source. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, we do not. But uh, there, are laws, there are laws on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Landlords may do that with uh, tenants, but we don't. Uh, but no, have a good uh, uh, application. Another thing that goes in the employee file, which probably is a great next topic, is that you want to carry, have a little file. Now, maybe it's digital and you scan everything. That's fine. But have a little file on every employee, and one of the first things that's going to go in there is the employee application. And just in mind of Matt's situation, this was something that we faced. We, we're we not the best at this every time. Uh, we've Sometimes we're, we have four different offices. We'll hire uh, quickly at times when we're up against the wall. And 
anyway, we hired an employee a few months ago and uh, we didn't use that application. This, uh, he was a student, it was part-time, it wasn't, it wasn't too serious and so we were good with it. I didn't have an application. Uh, he, uh, within a, a month and a half of the job, he died in a car accident. Uh, it, was, it was quite shocking. The, what was uh, odd is at the end when we were processing his last paycheck and then his W-2, uh, I think the last paycheck was made was easy because we, we attended the funeral and we could hand some paperwork off. But we were just doing the W uh, the W two just here a, a month ago, and we didn't have an address to forward it to. Uh, and so this application is really helpful for you know those emergency contacts, uh, things that you have on file, so that you know who knows what could happen with this employee. You might need to track them down on a weekend where they disappear. Um, who knows? So. Now, Matt, I'll just add in the application process. I took the tax accounting piece of this. You're going to want to have uh, a W-4 and an I-9. Uh, an I-9 is the immigration type form that makes sure you get uh, a verification that this person is a citizen and, the, and a Social Security card, Social Security number, um, and uh, the W-4 with, for withholding. So you need to put that in the employee file, and, of course, your payroll person is going to need that and uh, have a little package that the employee would fill out once they are hired. That's going to go right in there. Matt. All right. Let's, now, where we are next. Now, on this tax, I want to kind of just talk about tax and reporting because there's three things you got to think about from a tax and reporting standpoint. Once I hire someone, this is my first time with employees, I got to know three things. This, you, got a, you got a three-pointer. You got an L here, okay? Payroll taxes. We can maybe hit, I get, Mark, you can give some comments on this. Payroll taxes, unemployment insurance, workers' comp. Those are three things. If it was just you as the business owner, you may have been doing a quarterly payroll for yourself or something in your escort. But if you didn't have anyone else in there, you probably skipped unemployment and workers' comp because you didn't need to have them. And actually, you had to do unemployment. But the workers' comp, you probably skipped it. Now you got to take it to the next level. you got to make sure you're getting these three things right once you bring on uh, employees in your business. Yeah, great comment, Matt. And uh, workers' comp is always a shocker. It's literally insurance with a quarterly report, with a census of who your employees are. Your industry classification matters because are you in a high-risk uh, construction-type job versus an office job where the worst could be a paper cut? So you're going to pay different <laughs> levels of workers' comp. But um, on that payroll procedure, what I want to do is say is, as well, and this is for those that are seasoned business owners, with employees. I'm going to repeat this twice. Do not screw around with employee payroll withholdings. Let me say it another way. Do not use those funds withheld from employee paychecks to pay for bills thinking that you're going to have the money when it's time to make your payroll deposit. People, this is, I, we have literally had clients walk into our office that said, um, yeah, I, uh, I took those employee withholdings and kept the business afloat for six months. And, they, and, and I was doing the right thing because I was helping people have a job. And, and I thought I was doing the right thing. And I'll, I have to catch it up with the IRS, but it's snowballed and it's out of control. And I don't know what to do. Um, two of the three business owners went to jail. They literally went to jail. There was, this is a little larger business, but uh, there was thousands of dollars at stake. And... Uh, Folks, you do not want to screw around with payroll deposits. So when you hire an employee, 
Uh, make sure that you have a very, very strict procedure on doing the withholdings and the matching. Know when you're going to deposit, have a separate bank account for that, and do not screw around with it. Absolutely critical. Yeah, that is that is the money you never want to touch. The second you cut that paycheck, get that money out of your account. You do not want that money. Um, the, the IRS is very, of all the things out there, you'll see the IRS ticked off at, and they got a lot, believe me. This one is like number one. So <laughs> don't mess. Um, all right. Well, anything else you want to hit on the, on the hiring phase, Mark? I mean, I think from a business consideration, one thing I would say, and I think we've had some good advice from some other people we've had on the show. Um, in fact, um, Tony Bass is the, uh, he, I remember gave a great point about hiring that says, always be hiring. He says yeah. the, the people in your business for particularly service businesses, um, th that is your product. And so always be hiring so that you're getting a good applicant pool and, um, and, and you're making the right selections. You're not hiring at a, at a moment of weakness, so to speak. So I thought that was a really good tip. Um, also yeah. I think, um, you know, uh, make sure you have a lot of avenues to get applications, to get the word out, get referrals from other employees. Um, let people know you're hiring people that you, you may know personally to try and build up more interest. Uh, those are other good ways to just make sure you're getting a good applicant pool. And I think if we're going through the life cycle and we're going to have some tips here that don't fall particularly right in line with the life cycle of an employee, but I'm going to bring this one up now. And Matt and I uh, were trained on this years ago and we refer to this term uh, often is hatting, like putting on a hat. Yeah. And so once you hire an employee, boom, that first day, you want to have a very, very clear hatting process that says, here's the hat you're wearing. Here's your duties. Here's what I expect you mm -hmm. at work. Here's your time. Yeah, uh, here's what you're responsible for. And making sure that you're very clear on this. Matt and I have screwed this up over the years. And it's very yeah. common for employees. See, this is your business. You think it's you take a lot of things for granted. The employees should just know this. They should just do this. They should think ahead or they should, but folks, you eat, drink and sleep about your business. And, uh, you can't expect an employee to just get in there and start running without some clear training. So hatting slash training, make sure it's, uh, very, uh, help clear. And one thing we did, Matt, uh, is, well, one thing Matt and I did, as he knows, sorry, uh, is, uh, this last January, when we did our training for the new year, we brought in all of our new employees for the new year for tax season, and we recorded the training. And it's now on the server at the office. So when you hire new employees during the year, they can watch the video of the training. So it saves you time. So if you're making regular hires uh, and doing regular hiring, and there's kind of a training that you want everybody to know, uh, Matt and I have recorded several retreats in Vegas where we take our employees and record sections of it so that new employees can just watch it and it can save you a lot of time. So hatting, training, videos, Matt, anything you'd add to that? Um, no, I, I think even once you get more than a few employees creating an org board so that it's visually descriptive of who's doing what, um, and particularly for you that have, you know, the medium sized businesses, over 10 employees, that's really important to have. So that everybody knows where they fall and you start creating departments and, and responsibilities, maybe other employees supervising others, uh, that, that might be the next, another consideration. But I like in this, in this kind of managing employee phase, now we've hired the employee, 
the really critical standpoint from a from their point from a legal standpoint is an employee handbook. Yep, yep. And this is going to go over a lot of things that employees are going to immediately have questions about. What's your vacation policy? How do, do I accrue vacation? Is it automatically given to me? Do, who do I have to request to get it off? How do I use it? What about sick vaca- sick time? What what qualifies as sick time? Um, what if I need to go on maternity leave? Do I is there any leave that I have for maternity leave? Um, how when are we paid? When is our paycheck? What are the terms of employment? Are, is I, am I at will? Meaning, can you fire me for whatever reason you want, or do I have some guarantee in my um, employment with you? So. Those are a lot of things just to think about. Uh, and there's many things that go in the employee handbook. But going through the process of getting a good employee handbook is the best place to start to resolve all these issues and questions that are inevitably inevitably going to come up. Yeah, I love it. And I'm going to add to that um, and as well is that uh, when you're going through that handbook, make sure they sign it. Have a section at the end where mm, they yeah. sign that uh, they acknowledge receipt of the handbook. And then that page, we usually rip off and then you can scan it and put it in their employee file again. So back to this point, you want to open a folder, digital folder or a a paper file on every employee and make sure that you have that there. Now, this is going to come into play uh, in a big way when it's time to fire someone or someone quits, because if there's policies and procedures uh, when the relationship ends, you want to be able to go back to the handbook and say, hey, you read the handbook, you know, so you're on the mm-hmm. hook. Uh, it's very, very important to have that signed. Yeah. And you may if you have an employee that kind of goes AWOL or that maybe goes out and competes against you. I mean, some of the terms in your employee handbook may be confidentiality of information in your business. They're going to agree to keep things confident. They're not going to solicit your customers or, you know, uh, clients. They're not going to go after other employees to try and draw them out of your business. These could be terms in there that they're agreeing to as, as part of their employment. So um, this handbook, yeah, con- can, it's, it's like your best protection for any employee issue, really. Yeah. In fact, I'll use the term. You're in the employee handbook, a lot of times you'll have a confidentiality agreement, a non-disclosure agreement, a non-compete mm-hmm. agreement. Those are different versions that may uh, are going to vary based on your type of business but this is where you can lock down that information and uh as we i think our tip last week from matt was on uh non-competes that they're very very difficult to enforce but it doesn't mean you don't throw it in right (laughs) set it set a tone that you're not going to get walked all over if someone wants to leave and and all that yeah it might be what is it like a paper tiger or something but uh but better to have that than nothing um, one other thing I wanted to just mention is this at-will employment, and that's one of the sections that you're going to see in a, in a good employee handbook. Is typically it's going to say this employment is at will, and what at will means is essentially I can fire you for whatever the heck I want, as long as it's not you know doesn't violate the law and isn't discriminatory. I can fire you if you're a Patriots fan. You know, I, if I don't like the Patriots and I find that out after you've been working with me for for two months, I can fire you because of that. There's no laws protecting Patriot fans. Yeah, least, that happens all the time. Outside the NFL. Yeah, we see that happen all the time because the Patriots, you know, <laughs> no one likes a winner, you know. We, 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 we root for the underdog, so. That's right. Yeah. And, I mean, who's a Patriots fan? They're obviously a bandwagon fan. I mean, who was who born a Patriots fan? It just, maybe if you live in Massachusetts, that's it. Outside of that, you know. 
Okay. Now, okay, next tip <laughs> is uh, when you start hatting the employee and you're going through the training and they're signing the employee handbook, something that uh, we see a lot of clients implement now and the web makes it so much easier to do is that is a digital time clock. Uh, have a time clock procedure where it's a little icon on the computer for employees when they come to work in the morning that they can click, I'm here. And they can click, I went to lunch and click this and click that. And uh, the way we've framed this with our employees is that we're not trying to be big brother and look over their shoulder and track all these little things uh, to uh, be controlling or a dictatorship. But we frame it in the fact that it makes payroll so much simpler. Uh, for our payroll department, they can track your time off, your uh, vacation time, sick time, the, pay uh, the payroll procedure. You can just go download everybody's time. Uh, collecting time can be a pain in the butt. You're trying to get people's, hey, turn in your time card. How much time did you have? And it's just this constant battle every two weeks. But if you have a digital time clock, if they miss it, they miss it. So uh, I think that can create some efficiencies. Yeah, and you have, you know, there's an overtime uh, law. And so you have to make sure you're complying with overtime for certain employees. So management or people that have are more in a salary, a uh, higher level of income, you, you can avoid um, overtime, having to pay overtime. But for typical rank and file employees that are paid on an hourly basis, you have to be tracking their hours. And it's really easy for someone to say, oh, I was working 50 hours a week, but they only paid me for 40. And if you didn't have a good system to track that, like this time card system, like Mark, you don't have a good defense. Um, and, and that can be major penalties and fines uh, for you as the business owner that you to pay. And that usually happens when the relationship goes bad. Now the employee has, you know, gets fired. They're going to come back and say, Psh, well, I'm obviously not happy with you anymore. So I'm going to make a claim against you for, and we've seen this with clients, I'm going to make a claim against you for overtime. And you've worked me to the bone and only paid me for 40 hours. So, um, so that's a, it's a great procedure and it's also a protection for you on overtime. Yeah. Now, I want to go back to the employee handbook for a moment, too, and just mention a few policies that some of you might want to consider. Uh, and this is an important thing that is constant battle in every small business is uh, we've implemented a, at times the Internet policy. You know, can the employees be on the Internet at work for personal reasons? Uh, their cell phones. Do they have to silence their cell phone when they come to work? Live chat. We had a problem with that for a year or so where we come to find out all of our employees are on chat all day with their family at home at work. Um, so you might want to lock down and make it a policy in your firm regarding the internet use, mobile phones, um, also weapons. Do you allow weapons at work? Uh, oh, I'm in an open carry state. Matt's in an open carry state. So you can put your gun on your sidearm and I mean, right there in your little holster and walk into work if you want. Uh, mm -hmm. Is that a policy you're okay with? Uh, <laughs> Um, I was talking recently to a client in uh, Colorado, uh, and I, actually, it's a dentist, Matt. Sorry, uh, yeah. but he's uh, he's struggling with the medicinal marijuana issue yeah. because he says, "Mark, half of my employees um, they'll come to work stoned," you know, and so Jeez. and and it's tough. And he goes, "So go out at lunch and smoke a joint." And he goes, "So whether it's a mar marijuana policy or an alcohol policy." Uh, and, and it's much harder to tell if someone's a little lit up with a joint than it is to smell alcohol in their breath. And uh, mm. so you want to think of what are the cultural issues in your area that you're dealing with. And it could be clothing. Uh, you know, in Hawaii, do you allow a Hawaiian shirt at work or not? You know, what, what, what's your, what's the policy? <laughs> 
I'm against that. Even on casual Friday. That is not acceptable here. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody looks good in a Hawaiian shirt. Nobody. <laughs> hey, now I, I want to say this right now. I gave my presentation in Honolulu last Saturday. Great group. Loved it. Uh, I wore I wore my uh, now it's a very classy Hawaiian shirt. It's, uh, <laughs> sure it it's is. Cream color. It, it, it was. It wasn't flashy. It wasn't a Magnum PI. You know, red. You know, green flower. Whatever. It, yeah. it, was, it was really classy. So, I, I, I took the step. I presented in a Hawaiian shirt. Dang. Of course, are, no one took me seriously, but yeah, you are brave. You are brave. Yeah. There we go. Um. Well. Uh, anything else on managing? We gotta we gotta wrap this up here. But we, I mean, we have to obviously talk about firing and this is you know a little joke about this but this is very serious and typically this is the part in the employment relationship where you've tried everything else right you've tried to work with that employee maybe you put them on probation you've had the sit down talk to that this is not going well and these things have to be addressed every situation is unique and it is hard it is hard to have to fire someone um it just oh, it makes you feel bad i'm just thinking of people i've had to fire and i you know it, We've had it over the years had to fire people when the economy goes down, you know, and that's the worst. I don't have a good reason, except yeah. there's not enough people, clients, you know, when the, this is back in like 2008, 2009, I remember having to do this and it was hard. When I have to fire someone for a reason, which hasn't had to happen often, <laughs> luckily, those are easier, but, <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, it's still hard. So I just want to say that before we jump into it, because my guess is Mark and I are going to make some Donald Trump jokes. Yeah. Now I've, we get this call a lot. Employ, uh, clients call us that are employers and they say, what is my exposure? So what I want to say right off the bat mm -hmm. is that if you have a employee handbook that that will, then you can fire anybody for any reason, uh, as long as it doesn't violate a discriminatory type issue, a gender, race, um, uh, age, things like that. But the, 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 Main point I want to make here is clients will call up and go, what's my exposure? Am I going to get sued? And I go, well, why are you firing them? Well, they're an idiot. Okay, well, you're fine. <laughs> but that doesn't mean they can't claim unemployment. Mm -hmm. And for some of you that have a lot of turnover with employees or a lot of employees, a small change in your unemployment rate because the state tags you as someone that hires and fires a lot your unemployment rate can go up because the state's paying out unemployment to all these people. And they're like, what are you running over there? You're just yeah. bringing people in and then firing them because you don't like the color of their hair. Well, that's a problem. So I think when we go through this firing issue, uh, and I, I'll give some steps here from, from my experience that you want to follow so that you can defend an unemployment claim if you want to. Yeah. And I, I think um, this gets back to paperwork, getting back to the employee file of what you're going to have to make sure that you're documenting problems that may arise with that employee, building your case, so to speak, uh, for this unemployment claim that inevitably may come. Now, the hard thing with unemployment is the government is the one who gives that. There's a state agency in your state, likely, that manages this, and someone files for unemployment that goes to that state agency, and those workers want people to get unemployment. They're trying to get them unemployment, and you're having to fight with them to prove otherwise. So. Um, and, and the standard is really hard, I think, on unemployment, Mark. I mean, it's like a standard of, um, did this person show incompetence or gross negligence in their job? Not just were they not good, but were they, I mean, it's a, it's an incompetent level or gross negligence level. Um, not like we could hire someone better the, to do your job than what you're performing at right now. So uh, you really do have to build that case file. So, but I know you've had some of those cases, Mark, and, uh, we, I mean, yeah. back back in the day, Mark did 
fight out some unemployment cases for some for some clients. It is. I had my my uh, many of you that are regular fans of the show and watch our live events. You'll know that there's some joking and teasing that Matt will do uh, that it hurts, <laughs> it hurts my feelings. Uh, he will say that, of course, you never want to see Mark in a courtroom. Uh, if you do, it's because I'm battling a parking ticket. But, uh, you, you know, this is a uh, this is a big deal. I usually don't go to court, but I have been to the appellate court on an unemployment case, which was one of my big claims to fame. I didn't get to fight before a state Supreme Court or a federal Supreme Court, but uh, the, the Supreme Court, of course. But I did uh, get to an appellate court level, and that was a really neat experience. So I used to fight for, we had a client that had a a lot of employees, and there was regular firing and regular hiring. And they took a very hard stand that we're not going to pay unemployment unless we terminate you for downsizing. Because if we're terminating you, it's because you deserve to get terminated. Mm -hmm. And so so here's a couple steps and procedures you want to take for those out there that don't want to pay unemployment um, and see your rate increase. And every state can have a little different standard. Like Matt said, it can it can vary. Uh, you want to get familiar with your state unemployment guidelines. It's very easy to go to the state website and look at your guidelines. But here's two or three basic steps. When an employee starts to underperform, as soon as you see this happening and you see the foreshadowing that a, a termination might be on the horizon, sit down with the employee with another employee or uh, employee in the room. So have a manager, a partner, someone else in the room and go through, here's our concerns. And we're going to write you up. They call it writing you up. Uh, and it's <laughs> embarrassing. And if you tell people that on a regular basis in your staff meetings or when you hire them, that this is your process, it's not as awkward. So make sure everybody knows that if you're not performing, we're going to have a meeting and we're going to write it up and they have to sign a piece of paper that they were warned, they were taught what they weren't doing well, and that they were encouraged to improve. That's step one. Step two, they go on probation. So it's it's really a three-step process. Step one, step one is a warning that's written and documented, signed by the employee and you, witnessed by another employee. And then step two, they're put on formal probation. It might be a week, it might be two weeks, but it's also documented and signed. And it says, here are what your duties are. Here is why you're not succeeding. If you continue to do these things, you're going to be terminated. And in most states uh, for unemployment law, it's not a a gross negligence issue. It's here's your job description. Either you can do it or you can't. And as long as you're very clear about that and you do a good job training, then step three is you let them go and you document the the firing and give them their final paycheck and and, uh, then if they, if you have to, if they make an unemployment claim, you're going to get a letter in the mail and you can say, I dispute this. And then the unemployment, uh, ALJ, uh, administrative law judge will call you up. Usually they'll schedule a time and call you and go, tell me your story. And you're going to go, let me tell you, I had this mm-hmm. meeting here. It's documented. I had this probation period. It was documented. This employee, uh, was obviously incompetent or refused had a bad attitude, whatever it was. And an ALJ most times is going to say, all right, I'm going to deny unemployment. But if you don't have your paperwork together, you're going to be paid. Mm -hmm. So, sorry, that was a mouthful, but uh, that's kind of the procedure. And to protect yourself for those extra costs, you just need to document everything. Yeah, no, good points. And I think on that at the firing, one thing you mentioned too is the final paycheck, which most states are going to have a law. This is something you got to be careful about that says 
if you terminate an employee, you have to provide their final paycheck within 24 to 48 hours. Um, so and every state has a little different variation on that. So be quick. Don't be thinking, oh, you'll come, you'll get paid in the next pay period, you know, a week from now as our normal payroll procedure. No, no, no. You've got to have their check ready. Now, also, another thing to think about with that is, and this depends on your state. We have clients that call us in this situation. It's, it's tricky depending on the state. Some states require you to pay out sick or vacation time. So if you have employees that have accrued sick or vacation time, depending on the state they're in, for example, California, you may have to pay out accrued sick and vacation time. Most states don't require that, um, so that's something you want to make sure you're aware of. Also make sure your policy in your employee handbook de determines whether you are going to pay that out or not. Um, so, but uh, regardless of what you say in your employee handbook, if you say, for example, we're not going to pay out sick and vacation time, which would kind of be a standard thing if you're terminated, uh, but there may be a state law that's going to that's going to trump that. Uh, see, how I worked that in there. It's going to be a state law that trumps that, <laughs> and uh, and will force you to 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 pay that out. So uh, just be aware of that and be ready because that should be on their final paycheck as well. And I'm going to just a couple other notes that are just I know Matt and I just have this grab bag of thoughts that could one of these could just save one of you listeners thousands of dollars, seriously, and hours of heartache. Um, uh, so hopefully these little tips are uh, very helpful food for thought is overtime. Uh, remember that you have to pay overtime and you can't play games with that. And if you don't pay overtime and your employee says, well, I just want to work, just pay me regular. You go, nope, because. That employee turns on you, they're going to get treble damages. They can really throw the book at you. So even though the employee may agree to work extra hours, uh, not for overtime, uh, you can't go for that because it'll come bite you in the butt. It just inevitably does it all the time. Um, all right. Last comment I just wanted to make, Mark, on this was is in the employee handbook, one of the other things you're going to want to address are a few of the main federal laws that can apply in your business, they may not. It depends on the size of your business and how many employees you have. For example, FMLA, Family Medical Leave Act, that'll apply if you have 50 or more employees. And that if you do have 50 or more employees, that essentially requires you to allow an employee to leave the job for, if they're pregnant or they have some other medical issue, for and have leave that's unpaid for, up to, I think, believe up to 12 weeks. So that's um, a mandate. Now, if you're under 50, you can have your own type of policy or you could still allow that. But that's a section that'd be in your employee handbook. Um, Americans with Disability Act applies if you have 25 or more employees. Certain other laws by the EEOC regarding discrimination apply at 25, 50. So there's a lot of federal laws that come into play there. You just Those are typically in a good employee handbook. It'll reference some of these, particularly uh, medical leave. So I just want to tee those up, make sure you remind you, you remember in your employee handbook to hit those. Yeah, and on that note, we're not. You don't want to run your business up to the edge of the law and say, "Oh, I don't have 50 employees, so I can discriminate," or "Oh, I'm under the 15 employee rule, so I I can discriminate here." Um, no, don't don't go down that path. You never know if there's a common law stat, uh, uh, issue where case law could slap you down, or a state law, or some claim. Uh, for sexual harassment, you know, that just could be a civil claim. Uh, and which leads me to my final point is that I want to encourage all of you out there when you hire employees, two things. One, be nice. Be nice. Say thank you. Say please. Treat your employees with respect. And 
you know, you buy someone's back, but you can't buy their heart. And when you are kind and respectful to employees and uh, you're going to get that back tenfold. Mm -hmm. And I, I run into so many people that are either employers or employees that have a very adversarial work with their employer or employee. And it, it, they just, it's just rude. It's mean or whatever. Uh, don't go there. Just right off, right out of the gate, be, be a wonderful employer and it'll pay huge dividends. And, mm -hmm. and then the second flip side of that is being vindictive. When you do fire someone, we don't want to pull a Trump and say, you're fired. You know, <laughs> I don't think I've ever said that in my career. And I've let a lot of people go because when you're vindictive, sorry, when you're mean in the firing, the employee can be vindictive. You know, you don't know, uh, which brings us to this termination issue. You want to make sure that you're turning off people's passwords in the office. You're taking away their key. You're taking them to the door. Don't let employees float around the office after you terminate them. Uh, mm -hmm. This you see this in the movies all the time. You know, someone takes them to their desk, they fill, fill up their box, and they go. You want to be on top of that because if this employee is pissed off at all and they don't think they should have been fired, you never know what they could torch on the way out. So be yeah. really, really careful. Just be a nice person, and it could help you out big time. Yeah, and uh, I just want to add to that. Um, one of the best sayings I ever heard about business, I and I think it's really true, which is. If your employees don't love your business, your customers never will. So make sure your employees love your business and your company and what you're doing. Um, because if, if they're not loving it, you're out of luck that your customers are going to love it. So um, keep that in mind. Any final thoughts you got, Mark? I, I, was, I thought this was kind of interesting. I think hope a lot of you enjoyed today's topic today. A little, little different than what we've done before in the past. But we should have done oh. this topic before. I don't know why it took so long. Yeah, no, we've talked a lot about operational businesses. Many of you, please get into the iTunes podcast history. There's usually a five or six or 10 topics that directly relate to you and your life. And some of these topics, for again, some of you that don't have some of you that don't have employees, hopefully still found some helpful tips here. And uh, I just want to encourage all of you, please, if you enjoy the show, uh, get on, just take your mobile uh, phone out and just give us five stars. Just say something nice about us. We really appreciate it. It gives us extra um, exposure. And uh, you want to be a person that listens to a great podcast. You don't want to be listening to a podcast that no one knows about. So if you give us a five star, it improves your credibility. See that? It's we're giving back. You know, we want you to be proud of the podcast you listen to. Yeah, so, it's for you. It's Matt, really for five you. Star. Yeah, it's really for you. Boy, did I twist that around? What a lawyer. Uh, so, uh, Matt, do you have any five star reviews you wanted to read? Do we have one to give away a book today? I am not prepared for that. I am unprepared. <laughs> I am. That's oh, the that's honest okay. answer. But I know we oh. have more. I know we have more. Because people have been heeding the call of Mark Kohler to go and make sure that they're listening to a podcast that, you know, people are going to respect. We'll be back next week on the Refresh Your Wealth Show. Thanks for listening to another hour of refreshing strategies to better live your American dream. Don't forget to get your free copy of Mark and Matt's ebooks and sign up for their weekly free newsletter with important tax deadlines and articles at refreshyourwealth.com.